Welcome to Life, Family, Liberty, the radio show and podcast of California Family Council. The dulcet tones you're hearing are not those of Jonathan Keller quite yet. This is John Girardi, the trusty co-host and executive director of Right to Life of Central California. Life, Family, Liberty is, as always, a production of California Family Council. You can learn more about them at californiafamily.org. And you can learn more about Right to Life of Central California, my organization, at righttolifeca.org or simply rtlcc.org. That's the better one. That's the better one to do. All right. Well, we got a lot going on in the California pro-life, pro-family news space. And we're going to get to a very interesting question right now. So tomorrow we are having a massive rally at the Capitol. I don't know if it's massive, but we will have a rally at the Capitol against SB24. Now, a lot has happened as regards SB24 in sort of this month that the state legislature has had off. Um, in the prior month, thank God, the state legislature has had less to do because they're on recess. And the only good California legislature is a legislature that is not doing things. It's part of the one of the wise things, uh, fortunately for us in these days of insane left-wing politics in California. One of the wise things that the founding fathers did was structure a system of government where it's actually really hard to make laws, uh, knowing that most of the laws that <laughs> that a future legislature would make uh, would be terrible. So, uh, so thankfully, you need to have this big, long structure in place. Unfortunately, in California, it's very easy to make laws because the Democrats control both houses of the state legislature by huge supermajorities. And they have the governor's office, so they can do whatever they want. So thankfully, uh, the California Constitution gives us a brief respite in uh, July slash August where they are not doing anything, where they are on leave, thank God. They're not doing anything and thus not passing terrible, terrible laws to, uh, to further dominate us. So they are now back. And now that they are back, we're going to be having a massive rally at the Capitol tomorrow, hopefully massive, in protest against SB 24, which is the bill requiring that medication abortion be made, provi be provided at every college campus, uh, at every CSU and UC, at every CSU and UC medical, medical center to have medication abortion be made available. Joining me, the host of Life Family Liberty, Mr. Jonathan Keller. Hey, John. Good morning. Hey. So, radio waits for no man. That's in the words right. of Jim Franklin, our illustrious leader. That's that's what happens. Radio waits for no man, Unless... even if that man is going to Huckleberries for some good home cooking good. breakfast. You know, I can't tell if the Huckleberries owners are listening to the show. I don't know if they recognize that we we do appreciate their very fine food and sponsorship. So this is this is in no way a mockery of Jim Franklin's. Uh, very gracious and heartfelt. Why? Why would anyone think it's a mockery? No one. Huckleberries is fantastic. Nobody would assume that. At least no. I, I hope they don't. We do love no. Huckleberries, and we love Jim. It Franklin. is good. 
And we love Jim Frank. Uh, Jim, I, who gave me my first crack at radio. Yeah. I And mine as well. And yours. Yeah. I love, uh, I love being here in the studios of Right to Life Central California. Well, um, we love it when you're here, too. Yes. And uh, like you said, John, radio <laughs> We makes... love it when you're here at uh, 9 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Radio waits for no man, even if that man has a dead battery. So, <laughs> And even if that man got home... The sun was in my eyes. I know. Locusts. <laughs> it was a terrible flood. I didn't know. <laughs> no. So last night... Uh, first off, good morning, everybody. Last night, my wife and I got back from... A beautiful uh, Granby, Colorado, at the YMCA of the Rockies Snow Mountain Camp. It was gorgeous, and John, I will warn you, uh, it was. I, I, I'm. I may be a little bit uh, more confused than normal because there were 55 Keller family members in one oh place my for four days. That's a lot of Kellers. It was a lot of Kellers, and as one of my uh, uncles wrote in a family Christmas letter a couple of years ago, when he was talking about a a similar family reunion, he said. The cumulative effect of so many Kellers being in the same place at one time means we'll be two days late to everything. Yeah, well, I, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, if you if you combine all of the minutes yes. late that everyone is, yeah, that's I, that's pretty impressive. To, to be fair, the only reason that that did not happen, the only reason this event even pulled off, and folks, you have to indulge me. A, 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 a moment of personal Do privilege. we have to? You, you have to, because right. I'm the host. Come on. There you go. I know you listen to the show not just for late-breaking news on the California legislature, and by the way, John, thank you for reminding people about that very important rally tomorrow. I mm-hmm. think if you are remotely close to Sacramento, you are within driving distance, which if you're listening in Fresno, uh, you are. Or if you are Alex Goddard and you're listening in uh, Southern California, or not Southern California, coastal, central coast, hey, you, you can still drive up. It's only five hours. Come on. <laughs> Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Come on. Um, but yes, you definitely should go to the Capitol tomorrow. And we're going to talk about that more through the rest of the show. But a, a, a moment of personal privilege, at least for this segment. So okay. we went we went to Colorado. It was beautiful. Um, the only reason, John, that I was saying that the event even happened is because my cousin Jim, who was the first to get married of all the cousins, the, the 14 cousins in my generation, mm-hmm. he married literally a drill sergeant. Um, oh, wow. His uh, his wife is the sweetest gal you could possibly meet. She's from a little tiny town in Kansas. Um, but she and he were also both in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And she was a drill sergeant um, oh, for man. a period. And you would not, literally, if you met her, you would say, oh, come on. This is, there's no way. She's super yeah. sweet. And uh, as a result, though, she's very organized. And she's very good at using um, soft power to get people to do uh, what she wants to do. All so right. Well, good. She uh, she organized us and whipped us all into shape. And we had a great time. Um, so let's so, fear do the work of reason. Yes. <laughs> she's, uh, well, literally, I heard a story. I was talking to my, my cousin, Jim, her husband. And I said, you know, so Melissa, what a... Uh, I was trying to remember what exactly was her role in the Air Force. My my brother-in-law is an engineer. He actually has a degree from MIT. Okay. Not my brother-in-law. Excuse me. My my cousin. Cousin-in-law. Yeah. yeah. He he has a degree from MIT. He's okay. a super smart guy. He helped do engineering work in the Middle East. He'd been stationed in well, Qatar. Jeez. Yeah. All right. Very very cool guy. Um, I said, what was Mar- Melissa's role when you guys were back in Boston? And she was the Air Force, in the Air Force. And he said, well, she was this drill sergeant and... She really didn't like it, but there was like three of them. And the other two, when she came in, they said, you're going to be the bad cop. Oh, no. You're going to be the person who tears down all the cadets and tries to convince them that they're scum, maggot. Uh And then we're going to go in after you and convince them not to quit. Ah. And apparently she did such a good job that like the the day after all of the cadets graduated and she could Mm -hmm. once again treat them like human beings, they came to her and they said, 
we think in like the six weeks or three months, whatever it was, we think that one time when you were getting into your car, getting picked up to leave, we saw you smile from across the parking lot. (laughs) One time. One time. (laughs) But that is the level of self-discipline and uh, rigor that my my cousin Melissa had. So anyway, I'm I'm coming back from that event. It was a great event. We had tons of fun. Hudson actually even did great. Uh, Even on the flight last night, despite uh, being very late, John, we, we we were supposed to leave Denver at 7 p.m. Denver time, 6 o'clock California time. Oh, man. Which is fine. I mean, that's late for Hudson's bedtime, but, you know, no big deal. It's going to be fine. Is this an airline horror story? <sighs> it was a minor her- horror story. The, um, the flight we were supposed to be on, the plane was delayed coming from Missouri. Apparently, there was severe weather, so they got delayed, and mm. the flight was landed only an hour and 40 minutes later than it was supposed to. Nah. That was the plane we're supposed to be on. So then the, the plane that we're on is waiting and we said, well, okay, we're going to leave at 745. I, I guess that's okay. Except apparently, John, and I guess I should be grateful for the FAA for these regulations, airline crews, once they have reached a certain maximum number of flying hours uh-huh. in a given day. Yeah, they, they can't can't go no more. Correct. Okay. So our flight crew apparently was not able to be there. So you needed a new flight crew. So they needed to get a new flight crew. So the new flight crew, instead of coming from Missouri, was going to be coming from, I think, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Ah. But there was also weather in between Sioux Falls and Denver. Oh, dear. So the flight crew got there late as well. So all of that, anyway, conspired together to mean instead of us leaving at 7 p.m. and getting in at the reasonably comfortable time of 8.30, uh, we got back from... Denver, oh gosh, I think it was close to 10 was when we finally landed ah. and finally got the hotel about 1030. And John, because because I'm a glutton for punishment, but I also love my wife, um, The we got home and Julia opens the fridge and she correctly assessed that, oh yeah, that's right. Before we left, we said, we should probably eat up all the food in the fridge. Mm. So there was no milk. No food. There was no bananas. There was there was nothing to sustain my, my wife and infant son tomorrow. Ah. So I said, like a good husband... I'll go at 11.15 to Vaughn's, which is only two minutes away. Oh, man. And I will forage. That's a bleak, that's a bleak Vaughn's hour. I, yeah, but I figured, you know, I can, I can forward, forage for uh, wild half and half and that's whole milk. That's, that's when vampires go out to, to do their grocery shopping. I, I think I literally was the only shopper in Vaughn's because the, the manager of the store who was on duty like, mm-hmm. came up to me several times and said, you finding everything okay, sir? <laughs> they weren't technically supposed to close till midnight, like, but... I haven't had human contact. <laughs> For many moons, <laughs> it was a it was a very sparsely populated. But I said, you know what? It's okay. All right. It's 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 late. It is now eleven forty five, and I'm driving home. So I get in the car. Your car battery's dead. Click 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 click. Oh my gosh! So you should have shot me a text. I woke I, up at midnight. I, I, well, <laughs> you should have given me a call. <laughs> I messaged a couple people, and I felt bad. I was like, I probably shouldn't message the guy who has three children at home. So I messaged our friend Peter McMullen, who is a, uh. a single guy who lives within <laughs> reasonable proximity. Sorry, Peter. Sorry, Peter. No, no. This is <laughs> I, I'm very grateful that you were awake and that you were able to uh, come over. And he he picked me up. He well, see that because that would have worked well. I fell asleep on my couch at eight fifteen last yesterday evening, and Perfect. I woke up right around midnight. Oh, so if you had called me, I might have I, I might have woken up. And just driven over to pick you up. So well, so there you go. I, I I was I was grateful. Peter came over. He picked me up. Um, we we went back to my ha- house, grabbed the char- uh, jumper cables. Um, fortunately, this is all only like a mile away, so it was very close. But we we finally got back. I 
I even, John, I stayed out late last night because after I dropped the food at home, I, I drove. I went all the way up to River Park on 41, got off the exit, got right back on and drove. And I said, you know, I, just to be on the safe side, I'll, I'll spend an extra 40-minute round trip to go all the way up to River Park. I didn't get off. I didn't oh, get just, anything. Just to make sure the battery just, was charged. Just to charge up the battery. You know, yeah. let the alternator work. And what am I rewarded with this morning? Dead battery. I, I, I leave. Dead battery. Ah. So... So that is the prologue to the show. <laughs> I know you all love sometimes on a Saturday morning, you have to have that good, you know, Monday morning rant on the radio. There you go. I'm sure all of you have been there. If we were taking callers, I would say, give me your best car horror stories. But instead, when we come back, we're going to talk about another type of horror story. And that is the California legislature. They're, they're in session again. Always they, a horror story. They're home again, home again. And we will talk about it on Life, Family, Liberty. Welcome back to Life, Family, Liberty. I am your host, Jonathan Keller. Happy to be with you at the start of a segment instead of in the middle of a segment. There you go. Thanks to John Girardi for starting the show. Filibustering, hominah, hominah, hominah. In, in my absence. You know, it's a true radio professional who can start a radio show with absolutely no material prepared. That's true. There you go. Was it very impressive. Um, well, and it's, it's funny, John, because the thing that you opened the show with is I think... At least for this week, arguably the most pressing issue for our... It's like I can read your mind. For our radio audience, uh, we've been talking with you... I, I kind of feel like a broken record a little bit, but that's what happens when you're covering the California legislature because sometimes they are just that uh, repetitive and boneheaded, thick scold, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. um, they, uh, they are once again trying to force all... California State University and University of California campuses to provide abortion medication on campus. And it is a, it, it's an attempt that they made last year. They got it all the way through to the uh, governor's desk. And in a kind of remarkable show of, I don't even know what the right word is for it. Um, just a, a, a shocking Departure from his normal abortion stance, Governor Jerry Brown vetoed the bill. Um, that meant that Planned Parenthood was furious. Um, there was actually yes. a series of op-eds calling Governor Brown a traitor, you know, that he'd stabbed women in the back. Yeah. Uh, I mean, stuff that was really... Yeah, pretty, pretty <laughs> remarkable for a guy who's been pro-choice for all of his bazillions of years in... Uh, state and local government, but uh, what Jerry Brown was highlighting, uh, Jerry Brown is sort of, I think, reflective of an older Democratic Party, not just because he's old, an older Democratic Party view of abortion, which is that, yes, it should be legal, but not everyone needs to pay for it, and, and the interest isn't in providing it within walking distance to every single person at every single minute, and basically he just was not convinced by the rhetoric that of immediate access to abortion. Yes. And I wanted to share with you uh, a, an article here. I'm going to read you a little bit of the article from the New York Times. This is Farhad Manju, who is an opinion columnist. 
And I, John and I, I think, had very obliquely referenced this column in the past, but I, I want to read at least a good chunk of this article and uh, share with you the prevailing view from the gatekeepers in media at the New York Times and other places. Uh, so again, Farhad Manju, he's an opinion columnist. He's been writing for uh, the New York Times for quite a while. Uh, he has, I think, two kids. Let me look here, and I'll, I'll read you his actual bio real quick so you know who he is. He became a New York Times opinion columnist in 2018. Uh, he covered technology. He's written for Slate, Salon, Fast Company, Wall Street Journal. He was born in South Africa, immigrated with his family to Southern California in the 80s, and he has a wife and two kids. Okay, but live in Northern California. The title of his article, and I think it's very directly relevant to the SB24 debate. The title of the article is, Abortion Pills Should Be Everywhere. Subtitle, I bought them online. They're easy to get, and they'll change everything. So this article was from about a week ago. And he said, one afternoon, about a year ago, just as the Senate began considering Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court, I logged on to Day Night Healthcare, an online pharmacy based in India, and ordered a pack of abortion pills. A few hours later, I got a call from a Day Night customer service agent with a warning. If my credit card company called to ask about the purchase, quote, tell them you approve the charge, but don't say what it's for, unquote, the man advised. Quote, if they ask, say it's gym equipment or something like that, unquote. So just as a side note, at the very start of this article, he admits... <laughs> that the overseas pharmacy uh, is in, in, in India advised him to lie to his credit card company about right. what he was purchasing online. Yes. So de definitely very reputable, non-shady oh, purveyors yeah. of medication abortion. Com completely on the up and up. Uh, in fact, the bank never called. And in a week and a half, a small brown envelope bearing a postmark from India, but not from New Jersey. No, I'm sorry. Not from India, but from New Jersey, arrived in the mail. Inside was a foil blister pack stamped with a manufacturer's logo, dosage information, and batch identification numbers. It contained five pills. One was a 200 milligram dose of mifepristone. Mifepristone. Mifepristone, yeah. Sorry, that's an I. I should be able to read. Yeah. Uh, mifepristone, better known by its code name during its development in the 1980s, RU486. The four others were 200 micrograms each of misoprostol, a drug widely used in obstetrics and gynecology, including to introduce, induce contractions. The pills looked unremarkable, tiny, white, round. They did not betray what some abortion rights advocates say are their epic possibilities. Just a side note, John. I, and we're going to read this entire article I mean, there, over there the course aren't. of this segment and next segment. Yeah. But epic possibilities of uh, epic possibilities of killing even more even babies more than more for, formerly thought possible. The epic possibilities of ending life at a scale heretofore undreamt of. Yeah. <laughs> Good lord. It's, it's just. It's like it's like something out of the Matrix. Yeah. Ugh. Mifepristone was approved for use by the Food and Drug Administration nearly 20 years ago. John, um, just a, a quick side note. It says, use in combination with misoprostol for pregnancies up to 10 weeks. The pills are more than 97% effective. John, why is it significant that it was nearly 20 years ago? Who, who was president nearly 20 years ago? Why, that would be one William Jefferson Bill Clinton, friend of um, 
Jeffrey Epstein, the, of the late Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, hey, I, I just thought I'd meant. I just thought I'd mentioned that little know, timely bit of the, timely bit of knowledge. That's the obligatory. Maybe Jeffrey, fo- maybe John, former friend, John, former friend of John, Jeffrey. Epstein. I think it's important for both the health of our ourselves that neither of us knew Jeffrey Epstein. Neither of us have any personal dirt on the Clintons or no, on any no. of them. Nope, nope. I know nothing. Uh, there's no reason why Bill Clinton <laughs> or Hillary anyway. Clinton would, would would be involved. And in, yes. Anyway. anyway, moving right along. So uh, anyway, the the reason it's significant is that 20 years ago, RU486 was shoved through the FDA by the yes. Clinton administration. Yeah. And, and many people were concerned that there was a there was a real chance that a Republican could win the White House. George W. Bush did, in fact, win the White House. And the concern was, I think, among some people that they would put the kibosh on it. They would try to slow down the approval process of RU486. And. As a result, it was rammed through, and one of the first acts of pro-life activism that I remember doing as a young person at the nation's capital was protesting outside of the Food and Drug Administration in January of 2001. Mm -hmm. So we were protesting the rushed approval of RU486. Yeah, and this is a thing for, no, it's not really characteristic of too many people who listen to this show, but politics really matters. Like... When you elect a president, you're not just electing a president. You're electing an entire executive branch, more or less. Yes. And You are voting for 3,000-plus political appointees. Right. And that includes the people in charge at the FDA who have a say in things like, you know, whether we're going to approve this new drug that, you know, that allows you to abort your child up to 10, you know, 8 to 10 weeks of pregnancy. Uh, that election of 1996 had a big consequence. Yep. It was the legalization of this drug. And, you know, SB 24 is only a possibility because of a decision by the FDA 20 years ago because of the decision voters made in 1996 and because of stupid Ross Perot. I'm just saying, I don't <laughs> know that Bob Dole... Bob Dole wouldn't approve... Bob Dole doesn't approve of this. Bob Dole, it's your money. Anyway. We'll be back with more on this topic and others on Life, Family, Liberty. Welcome back to Life, Family, Liberty. I am your host, Jonathan Keller. Happy to be with you on this fine, fine Monday, the 12th of August. As we laugh at videos of Jonathan's son totally eating it. The yes. first time he ever wore roller skates. He uh, Hudson will be two next month, and he has a... He's generally pretty adventurous. He'll try a little bit of everything. But my uh, my wife thought it would be really fun to get him in a pair of roller skates. And the smallest size roller skates they had were a size 7. My son wears a size 6 shoe. Uh, but he was he was just barely able to fit into them. And uh, it went about as well as you can expect. He face planted and like feet kind of going every which way. He had no idea how to stand or what to happen. But he reasonably did okay. Even when he fell down, he kind of laughed about it and thought it was cute. But after 10 minutes, all done, all done, daddy, all done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> way to go, Hudson. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about roller skating after about 10 minutes. Uh, okay, so back to the topic at hand. The California legislature is back in session. They are going to be considering, very short order, the 
uh, follow-up to last year's SB 320, the abortion pill mandate. It's now going to be called SB 24. It's been making its way through the legislature. It has a important rally at the Capitol tomorrow. John, do you want to give the details on that rally specifically? I was trying to remember. Remember, Is it hosted by I think it's hosted students by for Students Life? for Life of America, and I actually don't know all the details because I don't think we're coming. So. Oh, all right. Yeah. Okay, well. Well. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so no, let me read you the article from Students for Life of America that they have posted on their Facebook page, which, by the way, just as a side note, I want to give some love to other other organizations. If if you follow California Family Council, if you listen to us, I obviously encourage you to go and come to the uh, come to our Facebook page, like our Facebook page, like the Right to Life Central California Facebook page, but also go like the Students for Life of America Facebook page. They've got a ton of great material, ton of great resources, and they really are, I think, trying to do a a great job on getting people to uh, engage on RU486. So, uh, they are doing this rally at the Capitol tomorrow. And I'm looking to see where the event is posted. Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be at, um, it's going to be at the Capitol, isn't it? Yeah. I believe it's on the steps of the Capitol. Um, well, let me find it. It's going to take a second here. While, while we're waiting for that, let me finish reading you this article from uh, Farhad Manju because I, I do think that it's important that we finish this. I want to make sure we don't run out of time before the end of the show. Okay, let's go, let's go back. I, I talked about the approval by the Clinton administration. Back to Farhad Manju. The drugs, which have been widely used by tens of millions of women around the world, are also some of the safest known to modern medicine. Mifeprestone has accumulated a record of adverse complications lower than Tylenol, Flonase, Xanax, and Viagra. In 2017, Canadian regulators lifted most restrictions on the drug, allowing it to be prescribed by any doctor without requiring an ultrasound and dispensed at any pharmacy. Okay. Yikes. Well, good for you, Canada. But in the United States, the Food and Drug Administration has imposed severe limits on mifepristone oh, distribution. Yeah. It can be prescribed only by doctors who meet certain qualifications and can be dispensed only in clinics <laughs> licensed to provide abortions, not retail pharmacies. Again, and let's just describe again what it does. Mifepristone basically results in the baby's death by cutting off certain hormones that allow the baby to continue adhering to the uterine wall and to continue to receive its food supply. Then a day later, you take this drug, misoprostol, that artificially induces a miscarriage. Artificially induces a miscarriage at up to 8 to 10 weeks of pregnancy. Okay? So you're talking about a drug to induce a miscarriage. Think of all of the bad stuff that's associated with miscarriage. Okay? Beyond the mental health side of it, there's severe pain, cramping, bleeding, risk of infection, risk that the entire baby is not delivered. Uh, there's all kinds of potential bad stuff that can result in a mis that, that can result from a miscarriage, all kinds of complications that can result from a miscarriage, hemorrhaging, uh, blood clots, etc. That's what this drug is. So mm -hmm. the idea that there's a little bit of regulation around it is not the worst thing in the world. Uh, it makes sense. They, this article, continues to repeat this lie that or this this talking point that the pro-choice side has been using throughout the SB24 hearings that uh, there's there's just as little incidence of side effects to medication abortion as there is for Tylenol 
which like the side effects of Tylenol are like nausea, <laughs> like nausea and constipation. The adverse side effects of a medication abortion are hemorrhaging and infection and 24 women have died from it. Okay, so it's a little bit different than taking Tylenol. And the idea that they keep using this talking point when they're downplaying, you know, the dramatically more serious and weighty nature of the side effects of medication abortion uh, is really gross and really disgusting. And, and it just shows that the ideology is what's pushing this, not actual science or anything. John, I also want to say earlier in the article I read, it says the drugs which have been used by tens of millions of women around the world are also some of the safest known to modern medicine. And then it says dash Mifeprestone has an accumulated, uh, has accumulated record of adversary complications lower than that of Tylenol, Flonase, Xanax, and Viagra. So in that thing, Farhad Manju says, when it says it has accumulated a record, well, that's a link. And I go, oh, he has sources to back up his information. Oh. There's a fact sheet under accumulated a record. John, which organization put together this fact sheet for accumulated a record? Uh, that would be <laughs> NARAL Pro-Choice America, which is an abortion <laughs> advocacy organization, not like a medical or scientific yeah. entity. So yeah. he's just taking NARAL's word for it. Yep. Uh, well, you know, hey, we got a fact sheet. So guess what, folks? Must, uh, be, must be full, filled with facts. Now, to be fair, NARAL... Uh, Cites their sources. They do have some sources cited here. Maybe he should have just cited those sources. That might have been a good idea, but instead he did that. And you also think, John, what would happen if David Brooks, for example, cited uh, Students for Life in a serious column about the dangers of abortion pills? Yeah, Uh, Students for Life of America is at least as partisan for their position as NARAL is for their position. In fact, I would argue vastly more because... Uh, yeah, NARAL Pro-Choice America, I believe, actually endorses candidates. Students yeah, for Life which of America students does for life not. doesn't. Yeah, they're they're a nonprofit. Okay, yeah. back to the article. Anyway. I, we're we're going to power through this in the next uh, one and a half segments here. Minutes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, yet, thanks to a digital handiwork of an emerging faction within the global reproductive rights movement, restrictions on abortion pills are becoming increasingly difficult to enforce. You know what they say, John. If a law is difficult to enforce, obviously we should just scrap it. Yeah, of course. Um, Despite the FDA's restrictions, activists have created a robust online market that makes getting pills surprisingly easy. There are report cards on where to find tested drugs, detailed guides on how to use them safely, a helpline. Wait, John, why do you need detailed guides on how to use it safely? Like, do you need a detailed guide on how to use Tylenol safely? Uh, I mean, you need, like... You know, labeling. Yeah. (laughs) Take two. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think you need detailed guidelines. A detailed guide on how to to do it safely. Yeah, because if you don't, you're using it really unsafely and you could like kill yourself. Oh my gosh. So there are detailed guides. There's all these different types of things. Um, And I'm sure the detailed guides that, uh, that the author of this piece got from the shady Indian website from which he ordered medication abortion. I'm sure those were really detailed and really safe. Right. Uh, it, it goes on to say it's all designed to help women navigate the fraught decision on whether or not to terminate a pregnancy. John, why is it fraught? If it's a legal right, if it's so common, why would anybody be fraught huh. with questions about ending an innocent human life in the womb? Maybe because there's some moral things that are playing in the background here. Okay, folks, I'm, I, you can tell I'm getting a little animated. We will finish this article and talk about SB24 more on Life, Family, Liberty. Welcome back to Life, Family, Liberty. 
folks, I'm going to be honest with you. We've got 11 minutes left in this segment, 11 minutes left in the show, and I have that much time to power through the rest of this article because I think it's important that you hear what the gatekeepers of the New York Times are saying about abortion pills. Mm-hmm. This is the people, th- these are the types of people that... These people. These people, which, by the way, as a side note, when I say these or they, or I use a plural pronoun... Um, just as a quick aside, John, that is not me uh, making some sort of a, a odd-sounding um, judgment. That is actually the way, ironically, that Farhad Manju prefers to be referred to. Um, uh, if oh, I have, really? If I have time later on, I will actually, in a, oh, in a future show... Oh, does he have show, a weird gender thing? So he, he is a male who is married to a female, and he has two children. Okay. But let me just pretty, read Pretty you, normal so far. Let me read you quickly his bio. Uh, Farhad Manju became a Times opinion columnist in 2018. Before that, they wrote the Times state-of-the-art column covering the technology industry's efforts to swallow up the world. They have also written for Slate, Salon, Fast Company, and the Wall Street Journal. Hey, but Jonathan, they is a plural pronoun used to refer to multiple persons. You might think that. In the third person. You might think that, but let me continue the bio. To their chagrin... Their 2008 book, True Enough, Learning to Live in a Post-Fact World, accurately predicted our modern age of tech-abetted echo chambers and alternative facts. Farhad Manju was born in South Africa and immigrated with their family to Southern California in the late 1980s. They live in Northern California with their wife and two children. Okay. So I read this literally the first time, and I was very confused. I'm like, wait. Like and my brain was like struggling to try to figure out what what What's is going on, going with on this here. Plural pronoun nonsense. Um, I, I will read you. He wrote an entire article about the fact that we should abolish all um, gendered pronouns and we should just use Great. a generic they for everybody. Great, fantastic. <sighs> all right. So that is the humpy well, dumpy really of uh, also of he lives language. in he lives in the Bay Area, but he's a New York Times columnist. Uh, apparent, That's apparently so. I all know right. it's a little okay. So anyway, quickly back to the article. Go for it from Farhad Manju. Uh, he goes what does on. they think? What does they think? What does they thinks? <laughs> what, what do you use? Uh, do, you, do you conjugate the verb there? Do you, I, or do you use uh, singular I, verb I endings or know. plural? It's, or What okay. do they thinks? So, so he goes on to say, and I'm not going to use that they. I'm going to say him because he's a he. He's a male and I'm going to call him a he. Gosh darn it. Okay. All right. You go, girl. All right. Guy. <laughs> okay. Uh, dozens of discussion boards and support groups helping people navigate the fraught decision of whether and how to terminate a pregnancy. Amid growing restrictions on clinic-based abortions, the online pill market functions as a haven of last resort for desperate women. Oh, John. Well, it's clearly not a last resort because it's like the primary option nowadays for pregnancies within the first trimester. Yes. So clearly the last... Whatever, he's an idiot. I I know, but a haven of last resort. They's an idiot. For desperate women. Maybe they are idiots. (laughs) Maybe that's how I should refer to it. Quote, the women who come to us don't have any other alternatives, said Rebecca Gompertz, a Dutch physician and founder of Aid Access, which offers abortion pills online for about $90 with discounts for patients in financial straits. Just a side note, $90, pre-discount, $90, the price of a human life from a that's, Dutch pharmacy. That's, that's what it, Well, we all know the Dutch are, are big on respecting human life. That's right. That's why they're into things like involuntary euthanasia. Quote, They don't have funds, or they are six hours away from the clinic, or they don't have transport. They have small kids. They live in cars. There are situations of domestic violence. It's just really bad situations, unquote. 
In 2018, Gompertz prescribed the drug online to 2,581 patients. Hmm. Now, what I'm sort of questioning, and Manju doesn't seem to get into it in the course of the first part of the article, of Schmiz's article, um, <laughs> is the legal status of these websites. I mean, it seems like this is Ill this is illicit, uh, illegal activity. That is correct. But John, this is this is again the thing. Let me get to the next part of the article. If, sure. if something is happening off the books, we just need to bring it bring it out of the shadows. Bring it bring it into polite, respectful society. Yeah, there you go. Cool. Hey, as as I learned in law school, it's not illegal if they don't catch you. <laughs> well, unfortunately. So you, you read his mind, John, uh, or they's mind. Yeah. Um, quote, but the pills aren't just a way to evade today's restrictions on abortion. Some activists argue they can also remake tomorrow's politics surrounding abortion, that the very presence of the underground market could force authorities to loosen restrictions on abortion pills, eventually paving the way for an alternative version of terminating a pregnancy in the United States, the inexpensive, safe, very early, private, at-home, picket-line-free, self-managed medical abortion. That is the goal, there is go. by flooding the system with illegal abortion pills, well, you know, we'll go ahead and make it illegal because we want to we allow these quote-unquote chemical back-alley abortions to be brought into the light of regulation. Now, yeah. now, here's the crazy thing, John. Let me read you this. This, like, this makes me so sick to my stomach. Quote, this is a quote from Elisa Wells, director of the pill advocacy group Plan C. During a recent phone call, she said, quote, did you feel a little rush when your pills arrived? It's like, wow, it's amazing that this really works. Uh, rush is a horrible noun to use yeah. in reference to this. Anyway. Back to Farhad Manju. She's nah. right. I did feel a little rush when I got my first pills. Why? I'd Are we sure that he's a biological man? I'd expected the whole thing to be onerous. And so probing for hidden difficulties, I tried again and again. In the last year, I've ordered abortion pills from four different online pharmacies. The process was was sometimes sketchy. There were poorly translated websites and consumer service or customer service reps messaging me over Skype with the greeting, yo. I declined to pursue one order because the site asked me to wire money to a random address in India. Great. After I filled out its consultation well, form. And we have a rush at the wild, uh, unmitigated success of yeah, this? Yeah. yeah. After I filled out its consultation form, Aid Access sent me an email asking me if I, if I really am pregnant, as I have a man's name, and the woman must confirm that she is ordering the drugs of her own accord. Since I am a man and not pregnant, I did not place the order. So that is one well, of glad the he had five pharmacies. About, glad he had a conscience about this whole thing. But, John, again, so one pharmacy decided to verify his his gender and pregnancy <laughs> and status. The, none of the others did. I, I mean, do we yeah. not see the widespread potential for abuse yeah. in these situations? Well, and also, I mean, like... Okay, the FDA currently limits the use of medication abortion to 8 to 10 weeks of pregnancy specifically because the later because the, you know, the later you use this, the more likelihood of complications there are. If you're not verifying things and if there's no one actually seeing this woman who's ordering this medication abortion and it the provider is just taking her word for it or his word for it in this case, uh what if you have someone who's 25 weeks pregnant who tries to take this? Now you're trying to deliver, you're going to deliberately miscarry a 25-week-old baby. Yep, at like home. The, at home. Oh, like, yeah. like that's, yeah, people are going to die from that. It's horrific. My so, wife, my wife also texts the show. Yep. My wife, an avid listener. She asks, is he, well, they, come on, Holly, let's not mispronoun him. If, is he not at all concerned about the environmental impact of having to dispose 
of all of those hormones. Yep. What is this man doing with these pills? Great question. Great, Great question. question. And it, it does not talk about that, but let me let me keep reading in the last three minutes here. I'm going to try to power through this. Most of my orders came through fine. Each of the three pill packages I got cost me between $200 and $300, including expedited shipping. Parentheses, the average cost of an abortion in the United States is about $500. So it's not just easier, it's cheaper. It's like the Amazon Prime well, of yeah, abortion, if John. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Yeah, buying drugs illegally is also cheaper than trying to buy them legally. Yeah. yeah, buying them off the street is cheaper than getting a prescription. Like, you know. Each time I got a pack of pills in the mail, I was increasingly bowled over. If this is so easy, how will they ever stop this? I've been watching digital markets for 20 years, and I've learned to spot a simple, powerful dynamic. When something that is difficult to get offline becomes easy to get online, big changes are afoot. Yeah, which well, that's, is, and that's the that's the goal. Which is not to say that everyone is on board with the online market for pills. While there's a growing consensus in the American medical establishment that restrictions on abortion drugs no longer make sense. Yes, a growing consensus in the American medical establishment, which John is the editorial, which means the op eds that the New England Journal of Medicine decides to publish, which where, I, where they only publish the opinions of pro choice doctors. Yes. Uh, I spoke to several abortion rights advocates who were worried about the parade of horrors that might swamp the movement if the underground abortion uh, online pill market was left to grow unfettered. Women getting fake pills, getting ripped off, getting ill, getting slipped pills by men, or Dying. being prosecuted. Yes. The activists building the online pill network acknowledge there are potential dangers in the market, but they insist the risks are far smaller than many guess. Yeah, who, need, who, who cares about a few dead women? Yes. I mean, they are already have a lot of dead boys and girls so yes anyway. that, uh, so uh folks i encourage you go online if you if you google the title of the article abortion pills should be everywhere um it, look for farhad manju uh you might he, jack up their google history though yeah that's you might get some weird ads after that that's well that's possible true yeah, do, yeah go search for it in incognito incognito mode there you go um so i, I want to read to you the last uh the last part of um the, the article here, just to closing, it says, um, uh, by doing this, more women had first trimester abortions when they uh, legalized it in Iowa, or they started doing more uh, mm -hmm. telemed abortions. Yeah. Uh, fewer women had second trimester abortions. Grossman was working on several other clinical studies focused on the pill. He said he believes the weight of the evidence will soon become irrefutable. The pill isn't hard to get now, and it will only get easier. It's only a matter of time, Grossman and th told and me. And that's, that's their dream is... Yep medication abort telemedicine services so you can get a prescription for medication abortion through your phone through a chat-based app you can get through a hipaa secured server chat with a nurse practitioner from planned parenthood get a prescription over your phone and then have medication abortion shipped right to your door you never have to get out of bed you never have to leave your house it's shipped to you maybe via a drone from amazon because yep. you know why not why not complete the the dystopian uh landscape here but that's the future. Universal, immediate access to abortion for every single person in America. Including dudes, apparently. Or, or whatever Farad Manju wants to be uh, characterized as. Nothing bad could come of this. Uh, folks, I encourage you, go to our website, CaliforniaFamily.org. Go to John's website, RightToLifeCA.org, or RTLCC.org. We will be talking about this, uh, this bill, SB24, a lot more, and we will give you a recap next week on another episode of life, family, liberty.